Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Today, on a special year-end classic snap, we're going to rock the soundtrack of a revolution. Now, you've heard of our own Pat Masini Miller. Pat Masini Miller? Pat Masini Miller? You've heard of him? Pat? Take him to church. Zim Heavy. It sounds like this. It was a rock and roll movement that shook Zimbabwe during the 1970s. And it was huge. Stadiums, festivals with 60,000 fans going crazy for this rock music. It was popular and it was loud. And the sound echoed through the entire nation. Now to understand what it was, you have to know where it came from. See, in the 1970s, Zimbabwe wasn't Zimbabwe. It was Rhodesia. And to be honest, it was a country in crisis. They had just defected from British colonial rule, but no other country in the world actually recognized them as a legitimate nation. And what's more, it was now under the rule of a white minority government that used an apartheid-like system to oppress and disenfranchise the black majority. And I remember as a kid running around with buckets of water to douse the tear gas canisters that the police were, were, were throw the tear gas canisters would go and That's Eba Chitambo. He's the founder of one of the biggest groups out of the heavy scene. It was tough. It was tough. We were looked down on and we had to struggle for everything that we needed to do. I remember we played a couple of restaurant gigs that we did in the white areas. Break time, they wouldn't allow us to go into the crowd where to go, like, sit in the kitchen or in the backyard. Guess they thought we weren't good enough to share, like, uh, toilets and things with the white people and that. Only go on stage when it's our set time, and after that, out of the club, we're gone. What would happen if you did try to go there? (laughs) You don't try that, huh? First, you'd get kicked. (laughs) You wouldn't, you wouldn't go through the door. The bouncers would kill you if you weren't wicked there. Blacks were confined to their own townships. It was there that Ebba grew up and fell in love with rock and roll as soon as he heard it. My mother had a, a gramophone. You know those wind-up gramophone things? And she brought uh, Elvis Presley 78 record, those vinyl things. And I was spending so much time listening to that that she broke it up. <laughs> we had what was called the youth clubs in the, in the townships. There was like a couple of guitars, 
After school, we'd go there to while away time. And when he wasn't practicing guitar, he was at the local township halls where he could watch bands play live. You know, when these other groups used to come around and play in our wood, I'd be there helping them carry the equipment, helping them set up. They would let me into the gig for free. Instead of dancing like the other people, I'd be sitting and watching what they were doing. I used to sit and watch the bassist, and I used to feel very, very bad that I couldn't get hold of a guitar like that. So we ended up building our own from an acoustic guitar. For a bass, Eba managed to rig up an acoustic guitar with those thick strings used for an upright bass. That, that was my guitar. <laughs> and how did it sound? It sounded good. Actually, it sounded good. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised it sounded like that. That's how I learned. And then one night, at a local club, watching from the crowd. Uh, the drama was drunk, was too drunk to play. And the people started getting rowdy. So they asked the audience, who can play? I said, I can play, I can play. They said, come sit and play. I'd never, I'd never touched a drum set before. <laughs> so I went and did a few songs with them. I was amazed I could play. They wanted me to continue. I think I did four or five songs and I couldn't carry on because I was actually shaking. How did I do that? <laughs> and that night was the birth of his career as a drummer. He never got formal training. There wasn't any available in his township. And after a while playing with different bands, Ebba had decided he wanted to start his own. The sound would be heavy. And the name? Wells Fargo. We did. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had no idea what it was. <laughs> okay. Now you gotta think, Rhodesia, early 70s, Ebba, along with pretty much everybody else in the country, had never heard of the bank. To him, the name Wells Fargo had a completely different meaning. How did he find it? It was a comic book. <laughs> it was one of those classic Western shoot-em-ups. In it, Ebba saw a picture of some kind of desperado riding a stagecoach through the Wild West holding a shotgun. And written on the front of that stagecoach, you guessed it, Wells Fargo. It was like outlaw side of it. That was the whole idea. And I just liked the name Wells Fargo on the stagecoach thing. I liked that. And we used the wheel as, as our logo as well. The name was chosen, and now it was time to find the band members. In came Jose, the guy I'd worked with earlier before in another group. Josie would play lead for rhythm guitar, a man named Handsome, and Ebba would be the lead singer playing drums at the same time. But for the band to be complete, they still needed somebody to play bass. And then there was a kid called Never. Hello. That's Never. My name is Never Mbofu. Never was like my neighbor, like my next door kid, you know. He used to come to my house. He used to come wake me up and knock on the window. Can I borrow your guitar? He learned to play bass on that same makeshift guitar that Ebba used. And that was the beginning of the band. Electric guitars were very, very rare. I think the city council had one electric guitar. They chose to do a circuit of all the townships. At the time, I think it was seven, eight townships. You tell like the club leader, we need to use it for a performance at the club. Then you'd go and put a request and they'd bring the guitar and the amp. 
after the performance, they take it back and give it to the other township, and there was only one, one electric guitar at the time. It was passion-driven. We just had a passion. To us, it was like, you know what? I just want to jump on that stage and play. I can see nobody. I can hear no getting a spark when we're playing at the shows you know the audience will just go wild and i think that bounced back to us wells fargo's original songs well they were about life and love and having a good time in a racially segregated country Everyone wanted to hear this new music that was blasting out from the black townships. The whites, they choose to come to the township because they were allowed. And while blacks and people of mixed race known as coloreds were restricted to their own neighborhoods, the whites, well, they had mobility. We had uh, audiences of mixed people, whites, blacks, colored and all. Yeah, it was a cooking pot. It was great. Brother. Even the white bands at the time, they used to come and play in the townships because they could get more people on the black side coming to the gigs. A gig is always better when there's more people. Ooh, we're talking 300 people, three, 400 people. We had to end the gigs at 11. But we used to take them till 6 a.m., working all night. Now, while their songs weren't overtly political, just the act of getting together to play music had real dangers. Outside the townships, in the bush, black guerrilla fighters had taken up arms and declared war. And in the cities, the government took aim at anyone showing signs of opposition. They hated black people getting organized, and with us doing the gigs, it was some kind of organization, because the people used to come to the gigs and we could talk and they could hear the music. You play, you get to notice a few guys, the next time you know he's gone to the war. Did you have any friends go off to the war? Yes, a lot. Yeah, it was terrible. For those who would manage to come back, you, you really have to celebrate that you, are, you have come back alive. And if these people came back, you know what, the first thing they want to rejoin again, the, the circle of friends and all that, it was at the shores. You see them, and when they tell you that, man, man, I was out there in the bush, and every bullet that I could hear shot from a gun was like a beat in my head, like drums. The heavy scene, which brought people of all walks of life together, was a threat to the ruling class. At the show, the advantage was that's, that's when you'd meet also a lot of people that you could not meet on the street everywhere. We weren't allowed to be in groups of more than two, three people. We couldn't, we couldn't hold a gig for two people. 
you try and get permission, they slap you in the face, say, God, well, it's wartime and you can't have uh, people congregating like that. But we went ahead and still did the gigs anyway. to listen to uh, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, The Who, a lot, uh, 10 years after. What about Jimi Hendrix? Oof. <laughs> you know what? Uh, Jimi Hendrix's influence was massive. Yeah. Hey, Joe, that's the first song we had of Jimmy's. And I thought, my God, what is this? I remember, hey, Joe. What you gonna do with that gun in your hand? Uh, the way you were singing it, the way the drama was, I loved the drumming on that song. The guy was like chopping wood or something. And when it came to the solo part, ah, and it killed me. That killed me, man. <laughs> That record changed everything for us. It helped us to understand the situation better as well. Because here was a guy singing about things like that and things that we're not even allowed to talk about. We thought, no, man, we've got to change something, yeah. There's war in the bush. There's guerrillas fighting and all this. But it was not for us as musicians. We were the unifying force. Because as soon as the people see the posters will struggle, they'll come in their hundreds. And we thought, this is, this is what we're good at. This is what we're going to use. And they hated that. Like, uh, there's a time that we played one show in one like a residential area. The band played for a full house, and the whole crowd was rocking. Liquor flowing, people dancing, and then the police showed up. They came to never side of the stage first and told them to stop the show. I said, look, I'm not even the band leader. The person speak to his Eba, the drummer there. You can go and speak to him. And uh, So he, he went to Eba while Eba is playing and says, stop playing. And he grabbed the drumsticks as he was playing. And when the drums stopped playing, we literally all just stopped playing, and the audience looked at the stage was happening. And when the officer stepped up to the mic to tell everybody to clear out... Before he could just say anything at all, a, a pint of beer just came to his face, straight like that. Yeah, it was a mess. He fell down, and the audience were really like throwing buckles all over the place, filled, filled with the build bus. It was sound like bombs or something, you know what? A full-on riot erupted. After that, people, they knew that, of course, because of this setup, the police will come in numbers. So many people just got into their cars and left. Because of this show, how it ended, it was not nice. We feared for even ourselves and 
our audience, our fans. Hey, we have to be careful. We didn't feel good about playing uh, the next weekend. So, you know, look, let's just cool out and we'll come back and play. Weeks later, they were back on stage. The show was going on nicely. We were playing on stage, and when I looked right from the foyer side, I saw some people with peak angels in plain clothes, white guys. I thought, okay, because of our mixed audience, we didn't see that there was a setup. The police had planned a revenge for the night when the cop was hit with a beer. Near a hundred officers came to raid the show. Another officer just gave me a huge kick and I just went with my guitar, jumped off stage, and straight I was going to the, to the door. But police blocked the door. Anyone trying to escape had to go through a tunnel of baton-wielding policemen. Were like, they were like a machine sawing people they were eating. Using his guitar as a shield, never braved the police line and made his way outside. Eba came out and the dogs were him. The police dogs were on him trying to tear him up. They had the place surrounded and there were more cops outside waiting. There's two officers who were coming for me and this guy came screeching his car and this guy said, never just throw it. I threw in my guitar and I jumped in and we sped off. Not only did they have the venue surrounded, they had the township blocked in with dozens and dozens of trucks full of police. They broke my arm and cracked my skull and I, and I ended up in hospital. Six stitches on my head and all that. I saw blood and everything, people getting wounded and a lot of ladies, it was, there was, they were not sparing anybody. Everyone was doing anything, musicians and all. We got a beating. There was a lady there who was pregnant, she lost the baby and all. It was frightening, it was frightening. understand it even up to today from that whole situation i never received even a scratch i just i couldn't understand how i had gone through that kind of machine and you know it, it was <sighs> i had a colored friend of mine who came to me later and saying nev do you see this he had a big gash on his head he says you know what nev I saw this coming never on your way, and I put my head in. This was meant for you. Carry on, carry on. Don't let the sun die out on you. Carry on, carry on. Now the river to flood you. You know, after they had beat you up and all that, and you were injured and in hospital, were you thinking, like, maybe this music isn't worth it, or maybe I should stop? No way. <laughs> I think they made it worse. 
We were more fired up when we came back. We were more fired up after that. We couldn't stop. <laughs> Two of the guys were like roadies in the band. They had left to go to war. We really started like agreeing to the reasons why they left. We also got politically conscious. And we tried to integrate it into our music as well. That's how the song came about. Have Gun Will Travel, it was called. This song was called Have Gun Will Travel. It was really, really hard-hitting. It was straightforward, straight to the gut. Some of the few lines that I remember, yes. Oh, oh, for wings that I could fly and the sun could touch me, have a gun will travel. No rivers and no mountains will stop me. We'll get there at some point. Uh, watch out, freedom is coming. You better hold on. You better hold on. That's how it was raw like that. <laughs> Trying to record anything like that at the time wasn't, it wasn't possible. The government had a strict censorship board, and a song called Have Gun Will Travel would never make it through. And while they couldn't record it, in stealth, the guys would play it while they performed in the black townships. And the, the people were going wild when they heard it. <laughs> the song spread all through the country by word of mouth, becoming an anthem of the oppressed. People are singing these songs which are not on record. It was, it was amazing. All we had to do was just the verses. When it gets to the chorus, the crowd used to do it for us. We never even had to sing those parts anymore. But then we started drawing attention from the wrong side as well. Joseph got arrested for playing it when he went to this new group. The government learned of the song and began the crackdown, sending secret police into shows. Guys will actually come and say, hey, there's a couple of guys in the, in, the, in the gig and we don't trust them. So we'd actually leave the song out of the playlist for the night. We couldn't play it. We'd get arrested. But we couldn't stop playing it because now it was in the people. The song was in the people and they wanted it all the time. I had to find a way to carry on playing it. They came up with the idea to code the song. Same melody, same arrangement, but with a hidden meaning. I sat down and I changed the lyrics down a bit. I removed the so-called offensive lyrics. Now it, it was a symbol that we were pushing. The war was now disguised as a big storm. The gun flashes and bombs were thunder and lightning. And when they tried to sneak it past the government censors, it worked. The underground anthem, Have Gun Will Travel, became their radio hit, Watch Out. Watch out! Big storm is coming. The thunder and lightning. You better hold on. Watch out! 
now it was on radio every household and uh, it was awesome the song was just everywhere the bass line on that song people would sing it when i walk around the street when they see people will say because if you listen to it it's just going that one way and sitting on that one not For me, it was great because I'm thinking that, hey, at least I think I've done something. There's one time that uh, in 1976, at the Trade Fair rock band competition, it was packed, 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 packed. And it was big time, big time. It was a, yeah, it was massive. We started just playing, we started playing Washout. The excitement was too much. The people jumped over the fence and everything. The security guys were overwhelmed. They could not do anything. They were all over the stage trying to lift you while you are playing. The amplifiers are shifting and stuff. And <laughs> it was, it was to control it, we had to stop the music. Literally, we didn't even play the other songs. And we won that competition. We played one gig and there was some tourists from the States and he comes up to me and tears a, a leaf from his checkbook and he writes best band in the world and he gave it to me and I looked and it was a Wells Fargo bank check and I said, oh, this is a bank? <laughs> the interesting thing, you could see that the fans, they were free in those situations. It was like you had a festival at the stadium, you'd come and spend time with people, sit down, talk to them, they get to know you, you get to know them, we and we got to understand each other better that way. Before that, to them, they wouldn't even tell the difference between me and the other black guy. To them, we were just the same thing. You know? So I think the music brought the people together. Then they started understanding that we individuals, we, we, we might be black, but we individuals just like them. Music is not always just about the instruments that we play, no matter how well you play the stuff. Sometimes you can play so well underneath. It's nice to do that. But that, you know, also the instruments are just a vehicle of what the message in the song is. We built a, some kind of following, so I think we got to the people we wanted to get to through the music. It could have been our part in the liberation of the country against the, the oppression that was there at that time. In 1980, the Rhodesian government fell and the country of Zimbabwe, as we know it today, was born. And alongside dignitaries and official ceremonies, the Zimbabwean government threw a huge concert with one very special performer, Bob Marley. He sang his song, Zimbabwe, a gift to the people of the country.
after that it's, it sort of fizzled out the heavy music sort of fizzled out like new roots music came in this was what was going down now another new style of music had become popular chimaranga which was based in the sound of traditional zimbabwe it was now more like back to your roots and people started going traditional more african music than than european music and if you went to Zimbabwe today and asked a random person on the street about the country's rock movement, what's up? You'd hear this. Any one of you, would you tell me about the rock music of the 1970s in Zimbabwe? Mm. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. 1970s. Nobody. Mm. Anyone who knows about rock music, come, come. Ah, you don't know anything. Serious. But years later, while the musicians that once filled stadiums are playing part-time gigs on the weekend. One day at the playing some, uh, with, with some other group we're doing some kind of jazz thing, a guy came up to me and he walks up to me and says, why don't you play Watch Out? And I laughed and said, what? He says, why don't you play Watch Out? Said, no, no, not in this situation. He says, you know what, that song made us go to war guys came and played our, at our school and after that me and about 40 guys left the school one night and we crossed over and we went to work because of that song and we were singing it all night when we were crossing over. Ah, it, you know, it felt very, very good. It was such a nice feeling when you said that to me. And I just had the news that George had passed away, the guy that was our guitarist. And it brought tears to my eyes when, when, when I started singing that song. So now, like, every time I get a gig, it's a regular thing. I have to play that song. <laughs> Watch out! Big storm is coming. The thunder and lightning. Fargo. That's right. You like it. You dig it. I'm glad to tell you the revolutionary anthem Watch Out has finally been given a proper release. Get the record they never got to drop. It's called Watch Out and it's available right now through Vinyl Me Please. It's got music that you heard in this story along with a bunch of other great songs and I'll tell you what. The record's awesome. Big thanks to Eva Chitambo and Nevin Bofu for sharing their story with Snap. Rock on fellas. Our correspondent on the ground in Zimbabwe was Albert Nyati. And a big thank you to Matthew Schechtmeister for all of your help. Check out the work that Matthew and the good people at Now Again Records are doing to put a spotlight at long last on the Zim Heavy scene. We'll have links to all of that greatness on our website, snapjudgment.org. That piece, it was produced by Pat the CD Miller. Thank you.